So we started this series four weeks ago. If you're visiting with us today, I'm going to preach the fourth one. They stand alone, but you can go online and, and listen if you want uh, and get caught up if, if you want. But this is a standalone. This is the church, the power, the power, the power, the power. Okay? The church is a place of power. I remember opening this uh, series up, and I do want to say that, with when was the last time that you saw the visible manifest demonstration of the power of God. You remember me saying that? You remember how your heart kind of like was like, oh yeah, I'm burning for that moment again, right? When was the last time we went through the altar, a place of sacrifice, and the tabernacle, a place of holiness, and the temple, a place of glory, and now I'm back, right? We saw the power of Elijah on Mount Carmel. We saw the power of God through Elijah on Mount Carmel. Let's get that straight. And we saw the power of God in the tabernacle, right? Uh, just off of Mount Sinai with Moses. And we saw the power. Matt did a great job. I listened to it online. That was amazing, okay? Of the power of God coming into the temple. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to tabernacle with us. He wants to show up in power when we gather together. And he does. And he does. So when was the last time that you saw the visible demonstration of God's power? It's just good to think about, isn't it? Because we live this Christian life. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And yet we're like, the stories of the Bible are so powerful. And we're like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, I didn't see any power. Well, what life are you living? Because if we're living the Christian life, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, there's going to be power daily power, weekly power, right? And so that's what we're going for here at this church. We're going for powerful interactions with God daily, right? And so I'm glad you came, and I hope that today will be a powerful day for us all as well. Now the ultimate power through Jesus Christ in the church today. Okay, now I just got a little confession in church. This is going to be a messy message. I mean, just this messy all right? Why? Because I'm preaching on the church. I mean, the spiritual warfare has been off the chart this week, okay? Because it's like Satan hates the church. He doesn't want the church to be preached about. He doesn't want the church to go forward. Nothing about the church. Please, shut up, please, right? But God wants the church to go forward, and he loves the church, and he's built the church, and he's building the church. It's uh, a bit of a mystery, the church. Uh, if we get, get to Ephesians, right? It's a bit of a mystery, and uh, so, you know, I'm not going to say at the end of the day we have everything figured out about the church, right? Because why? Because the church is about maturity. The church is a place where we come and we come together and we're sharpening one another and we're maturing in Christ. And you know what? I hope that we'll know more next week than we know this week. And next year than, than this year. And the year after and the year after and the year after. I'm hoping in 20 years... Whoever's the pastor of this church, I hope it's me, but, it, you know, no, I don't know. But I'm hoping in 20 years, more people, more mature, more glory, more power in the local church. Well, the church is an ecclesia. That's the word. I'm going to actually preach on the church again, I don't know, later from Ephesians. But I've been, it's so messy. Like, I started out preaching, uh, kind of getting together my thoughts, and like, here's the reason it's messy. 
this message wasn't formed in one week, okay? Like normally it's like, all right, here's the passage, we form it in one week, this is what it says, here's the point, here's the points, Here, you know, here's the big idea, here's the points, here's, here's what you're going to do about it. This is like 20 years of ministry going into this message. It's messy. This is like passage after passage after passage. You could, I could just preach the whole New Testament today. It's all about the church. So it's a little bit messy, so I just apologize ahead of time if I seem all over the place. The church is an ecclesia, it's an assembly, it's a congregation, it's a gathering of called out ones to gather together. You got out of bed, you came over here, you're called out of your own home and your own life and your own thing, called together to gather together to worship Jesus Christ. That's the church. We're chosen by God. We belong to him. I'm going to say that again. You are chosen by God and you belong to him. Tell the person next to you, you're cool. I mean, because that is, I mean, it's like, dude, if that's true about you, if that's true about you, you are cool. Like, that is pretty sweet. This is the church. So if the church is a place of power and we could see it all over the New Testament, I had to kind of trim it down. So there's one book in particular where I could get all of the thoughts that I was thinking from all of these passages, and it was Ephesians. So open your Bible to Ephesians. I'm going to preach not a particular message from a particular passage. I'm going to preach a bit of an overview of the New Testament, and I'm going to try to do it mostly in Ephesians. And I would just start with this. What makes the church so powerful? What makes the church a place of power? Well, I'm fixing to tell you. But the quick answer is Jesus. Uh, Thanks for showing up at Sunday school today, Phil. Everybody gets candy when they say Jesus. What makes the church so powerful? Why? Well, I, I think you're going to see it right here. Um, let's, let's get to Ephesians 3, verse 7. He just got done talking about the mystery, the mystery, the mystery, the mystery of the gospel. And uh, the mystery is really not just the gospel, but it's the church, which is the thing that the gospel goes out through. The church is the hope of the world. Verse 7, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. (laughs) I resonate with that, Paul. Which was given me by the working of his power. Glad it's not my own strength. Aren't you glad you don't do this in your own strength? That's failure waiting to happen right there. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, man, he's like speaking my language, right? Don't you feel like that? You're like, dude, I'm the least of this. I'm not Peter. I'm not John. I'm not James. I'm a nobody. I just showed up later. Paul's like, yeah, yep, that's me. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light. There's something that I'm going to bring to light today for everyone. There's something I'm going to expose you to, I want to open your eyes to today. To bring to light for everyone, what is the 
plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God has a plan hidden through the ages. The prophets long to look into these things. Angels in a second, but angels long to look into these things. And God created all these things so that through the church. I got that boxed in my Bible because I love the church. I love the church. I love the church universal, and I love the church local. I love the church. So that through the church, this is how it's going to come to light for everyone, the manifold wisdom of God might be known, might be now made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Just think about it now. The angels in heaven are like, hold on, the church. Not sure they ever said that about the altar. Not sure they ever said that about the tabernacle. Not sure they ever said that about the temple. But I know they said it about the church because it says in the Bible they said it about the church. They're like, what? Look at the church. It's amazing. I want to be part of that. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, God, has realized in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, before the foundation of the earth, said, there's going to be a church. There's going to be a gathering of my saints. They're going to be together. They're going to be unified. They're going to love one another. And they're going to serve me and each other. And the angels are going to go crazy in heaven because they're going to see this and they're going to be like glory to God in the highest. Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So there's a key there, the faith, right? The faith, the faith. There's a access that we have to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's astounding. And angels are going crazy every time one of us comes to faith in Jesus Christ and we gain access through his body. And the temple was torn, right? The curtain in the temple. So the body was broken and the blood was spilled and it covers my sin. Every time I come to realize that, every time one of you comes to realize that for the first time and your life is radically changed, the angels roar. Didn't we sing that? I think we sang that in two songs today. Like the angels, heaven roaring. First point, what makes the church so powerful? Here it is. Jesus started the church. It was his eternal purpose. Before anything else, Jesus started the church. And I have access. I have access through the blood of Jesus Christ. I have access and boldness with confidence through faith. Faith in Jesus, the gospel, the plan, the mystery, which he made known through the church. The church is his plan, and it's his plan to save the world. It was his plan to save me. It's his plan to save you. Now, how many of you guys have ever been to Sam's Club? Sam's Club, anybody? All right, now, this, this is just perfect. So, I have a Sam's Club membership. 
Anybody have a Sam's Club membership? Okay. You have your card? But you don't really need your card at Sam's Club. I mean, not until you get to the register, right? You can walk right in. I mean, what do they do with people that just wander in that place and then they get to the register? I, they probably charge them 50 bucks or something. Like, it's a great technique to get people to be members. I'm not sneaky like that. I'm not trying to, like, backdoor you or anything like that. But there is this place called Costco. And I tried to Sam's Club one time at Costco. Like, the first time I went in, I was, like, just walking in. Hold on. Wait a second, sir. I'm going to need to see. Oh, yeah, yeah, my card, my card. And uh, so I pull out my card, right, and I show him my card. And all of a sudden, I have access. I have access to shelves full of stuff that all cost $10 or $20. It's like everything costs 10 or 20 right? I don't buy the big stuff. <laughs> all the 10 and 20s. All right. I have access through what? Through this card. I have access through the card. And what God's saying here in this passage is, hey, I started the church, and you can have access. And that's powerful. And it comes through faith. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I sent him to die for you. I raised him from the dead. And he has victory over sin and death. I don't know if he actually did this, but I like to say he kicked Satan in the teeth, took the keys to sin and death, and walked out. Jesus Christ can handle Satan with his hands behind his back and his feet up because he made him. He made him. Just like he made us. And he made us for one reason, to worship him. And we can have access to that. He started this thing called the church, this gathering. And I'm so grateful. I thought you might want to see like the first time the church is ever used in the Bible. So flip over to Matthew chapter 16. This is where I kind of started. And I was going to go through the whole New Testament. And then, you know, I don't know what Jesus came back and said, hey, you're a moron. Um, why don't you bite off what you can chew? <laughs> so therefore, we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians. Thank you, Lord. But turn to Matthew chapter 16 and look at verse 13. No card, no access, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we have access to God to eternity. And I want you to see the first person that gained entry into heaven. I want you to see it right here. This is the first person. Verse 13, chapter 16, Matthew. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, can you imagine walking along the road with Jesus while he's asking, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Who do people in, in the world say that he is? Who do they say? Come on now, a little feedback in church. I've talked too much. Who do people in the world say that Jesus is? Son of God? A prophet? Teacher? Good teacher, moral example. They say a lot of things about Jesus, right? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, and they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. We're not really sure. What Are you, are you looking for an answer? Uh, can we widen it out to the prophets? I think we're going to get it candy. It's, it's good. 
And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? I think that's a question you got to answer today. If you're here, I'm asking you personally, just me and you, like we're sitting across the table at, what's a good coffee place? I don't drink coffee. Starbucks. Caribou. Dunn Brothers. Let's go to Dunn Brothers. It's close. Like we're sitting across the table. And I just say to you, who do you say, Zach, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say? Your Savior. Your Lord. He's Messiah. He's everything to me. Right? But for the first time coming out of someone's mouth, look at what happens. Simon Peter replied, maybe because he was the leader of the group or the most boisterous, I think his personality was such that he probably just, verbal processor, (laughs) here it comes. That might be like your pastor. All right. He says, hey, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here's the key. You know how you're going to gain access? God the Father has to open up your mind, your heart, your eyes to see that Jesus is God. Only he could do it. I can preach hard I want, as hard as I want and say as many things that would try to like twist your arm or get you to believe or commit. I'm telling you what, unless our Father God opens your eyes so that you can see the gospel, isn't that true? How many times you go like, I want this person to get saved, and you tell them and you tell them and you tell them, pretty soon you take your Bible like a two-by-four and you're like, boo, boo, boo. They call you Bible fathead for what? Okay, and you know, we don't bruise the fruit. We don't beat people up with the gospel. Only the Father reveals that Jesus is the Son. But when you get it, when you see it, when you understand it, that changes everything. And you have access to the church and the power. pray that you have access today. Peter's the first one to confess that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God. John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, guy was blinder than a bat, right? He did end up getting it at the end. But he said to him, you must be born again. You must be born from above. He's like, what? I don't know. Do I enter my mom's? He's like, come on, dude. He doesn't get it. And so if you're here and you don't get it, keep asking God. Keep asking your heavenly Father who loves you so much, could you just open my eyes? Could you just help me get it? I want access. I want the power. I want to be a part of the church that Jesus started. I just ask this. Do you have access to God through faith in Jesus Christ? Do you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you have access to God? our Father, through faith in Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Really ask yourself, 
I know I know it's easy to get kind of defensive on that and be like, oh, of course I do. I grew up in church. Yeah. Are you born from above? Has the Father ever revealed to you the fact that Jesus Christ is everything? That everything centers around, focuses around Jesus. The second thing, you see it right here in this passage before we go back to Ephesians, Jesus leads the church, I have authority. Jesus leads the church, I have authority. I wanted to start with this because I like authority. Authority is a good thing. Uh, you like authority if you're in authority. You don't really like authority if you're under authority, eh? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. I'm the guy that's like, the rules are meant to be broken, right? But I don't think you want to pull that with Jesus. His authority is good. When Jesus says don't, he says don't hurt yourself. That's going to leave a mark. That's going to cost you a few years of pain. That's not going to feel good in a year. That's not going to end up good in the morning. Don't do it. So, Jesus leads the church. No one else is leading the church here. Jesus is leading the church. And I have authority. I want you to look at verses 18 and 19, John, or uh, Matthew 16, sorry, excuse me. Matthew 16, look at verses 18 and 19. And I tell you, you are Peter. That means little stone. I can get into all that later. Uh, sometime I'll preach this. It's a minefield. And on this rock, that's a foundation stone. Boom, like a cornerstone. We just sang about it. I will build my church and the gates of hell. You know what gates are? Authority. You can't come in, you can't come out. You got to have some kind of access to get in or out. You know what the gates of hell are? Death. Try getting around that one with your Costco card. Oh, no, no, really, I'm, I'm still alive. Uh, no, you're not. You can't cheat death. It's a point on demand, wants to die. We all are going to die. But that's not the end of it all. Aren't you grateful for that? There's an authority. And he says, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <laughs> I love that. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Sounds like authority talk to me. Bound, loosed, I, you know, it's authority talk. Flip over. I would love to preach this passage. People get so sideways on this passage. This is where the Pope comes from. I don't understand. It's, you know, not hating on you if you're Catholic. We should just have a good conversation about this. All right? There's a lot of other scriptures in the Bible, okay? But I'm just telling you, this passage is about authority. The gates of hell. I will build my church. Loosed, bound. Flip over back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. You'll see it right here from the text. Ephesians chapter 1. It's clear that Jesus is talking about authority. And then in chapter 1 of Ephesians, he says it again. Verse 22. And he, God, will put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Who's the head? Who's the head? 
It's not a trick question. Who's the head? Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the head. Who's the body? We're the church. We're the body. We're the fingers. We're the toes. We're the elbows. We're the knees. We're the church. I thought a, a way to illustrate this for you would be, because I think a lot of people get like, well, no, but the authority was in Peter. Uh, the authority was in the 12. The authority was in the... So I thought a good way to illustrate this for you is just to throw a couple verses on the screen. Go ahead. We'll throw them up there. Here's Luke 9.1. This is Jesus sending the disciples out, the 12. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That same power lives in you. You have the authority to heal, to help, to cure. You have the authority over demons. God's power hasn't changed. God's people sometimes have in their commitment. Now again, we don't believe in healings on demand. I'm not going to get up here and like try to, I can't even heal my own back for crying out loud. Right? There are factors in life. There are things God allow for his own glory. And the ultimate healing is death if you're a believer. Right? So we're not scared of death. We're not trying to cheat death. But you're like, oh, it's just for the 12. Well, here's the next chapter in Luke, chapter 10. He widens this thing out, and he's kept widening it to the whole church ever since. Here it is. The 72 returned with joy. He had sent them out, just like the 12. One chapter later, with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Woo! You should have seen those things run. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I want to see that. Well, I can't because I'm not in the spirit world. But I want God to be able to say that in our church. Satan had to come down because he couldn't get it done with his minions. Because when he comes down, we're all like, ah, right? Jesus can handle them. Feet up. Hands behind his back. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Clothe yourself in the Holy Spirit. And if he's not in heaven accusing the saints, that's good for us. Right? And he says, behold, listen, I have given you authority to tread on serpents. That gets weird. And scorpions. I'll explain in a second. And over all the power of the enemy, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And you get it from Ephesians 6. And nothing shall hurt you. Can anything hurt you really, Colin? You're like, wow, I kind of feel like I got my, uh, my, oh, I got tendonitis in my elbow. Really? Is that hurting? Like, it can. It can hurt you. But is that hurting you eternally speaking? Because he's not speaking about serpents and, and scorpions here. You're going to see it in a second. He's going to explain himself really clear. If you go to the zoo and you get in the like snake cage today, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't even. Don't do that. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm, I'm saying you're probably going to die, right? That's what I'm going to say. Nothing will hurt you because death can't hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that you have victory over demons, you have victory over ailments. What should I rejoice in? 
that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in that. So that's what the scorpions and the snakes are. It's the spirits. He's given them a name. The spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I feel like I'm back to point one now. Rejoice that you have access because Jesus started the church. Don't rejoice in your authority. Authority is an important thing. Jesus gave us his authority in uh, our missional verse, our, our verse where we get the mission, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has shared his authority with us, and he's given us a mission. Do you know what it is? Make disciples. Disciples of who, you might add? Jesus Christ. You are trying to make followers of Jesus Christ. And the best way to make followers of Jesus Christ is go. Okay, that's a good way. He says baptize. Okay, that's tangible. I know you're in now. You, you died to yourself and you lived to Christ. Okay, tangible picture of what happened inside. And, and teach. But he doesn't just say teach. He says teach all that I've commanded you. Now, that's going to take a lifetime. Jesus said a lot of stuff. And it's not easy stuff, Right? His burdens aren't easy, but his words, man, oof. <laughs> you know, his, his burdens aren't heavy. His burdens are easy, but his words, man, like, uh, how do I do that exactly? In the power of Jesus. That's how you do that. So Jesus has given us this authority. I love that we have the authority. We've been given authority through Jesus Christ to go, to baptize, to teach, to make disciples. And I think sometimes the authority gets a little weird. Let's be honest. In, in our house, if you're a husband, sometimes get, the authority gets a little weird. Well, do it because I said so. Really? Huh? Really? Sometimes the authority gets a little word, weird. This, it gets out of, out of joint, out of whack. So how did Jesus build the church in Rochester, Minnesota here called Harvest Bible Chapel? Oh, through Brent and Steve. I think that was, you know, like, these guys came, they planted church, like, pretty cool, and uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Jesus leads the church. Six years of astounding Jesus. That is the authority that we have. We have no other authority. Every week we say, we want to get a Bible in your hand because that is the authority. Every week. I thought we might just have some fun on Celebration Sunday, celebrating six years and just see what God's done in our church. How about that? You guys up for that? All right. In Jesus Christ's name, right? Because of what he's done and how he's led and how he should be glorified in the church. If you started coming to Harvest in 2011, stand up. All right. That's a good core team. If you started coming in 2012, stand up. If you started coming in 2013, stand up. If you started
started coming in 2014 stand up. See, this is what Jesus is doing in his church as he leads. He started coming in 2015. Stand up. All right? This is God's authority. This is God's church. And long after all these people are dead and gone, we hope that there still be a church here preaching the gospel and the authority of God, making disciples on his authority. If you came in 2016, stand up. Look what God has done. If you came this year, 2017, thanks for coming. Stand up. I mean, this is God at work in our church. This is God redeeming people. This is God leading people to his throne. This is God giving authority in the church. Like I've already said, I can't make you come. I can't give you anything. I can't even save you. I got nothing. But the access and the authority is through Jesus Christ, and it is powerful what God is doing. Let him keep going. Pray more next year and the year after and the year after, and it won't be like, oh, we don't want to get any bigger. I don't know, like, uh. No, we want more people to be, have access to the power. We want more people to find the authority of God's word and put it over their life. We want more people and more people and more churches and more small groups and more churches for God's glory. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for listening to the word of God. Thanks for following Jesus Christ. He's the leader of this church. Let's just get that straight. And it's in him that we have our authority. Thank you. You can have a seat. This next one you find from uh, Ephesians 5, 20, 25 through 30. Man, what a great passage. Uh, husbands, I'd love to talk to you about this, but how about you come back uh, in, I think it's January, February, when we're going to be talking about this. Maybe it's March, I don't know. But uh, we're going to be preaching through Ephesians later in the year, so I'm just going to give you a quick overview. Uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a good thing. God loves his church. And gave himself up for her, Jesus died for the church, that he might sanctify her by the cleansing her by the washing of water with the word with the word with the word that's how he does it that's how jesus builds his church that how that's how jesus washes his church clean through the word with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, and that she, remember we're the bride, he's, he's the groom, might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, this is just free advice, guys, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do it well, men. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but, there's our word, circle it, highlight it, underline it, nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members, that's that access thing again, of his body. Here's the third point. Jesus nourishes the church. I am, and I must be abiding in that nourishment. 
The funny thing is when I was uh, like writing this point out on Friday, I was eating some popcorn. It was good popcorn. It's kind of like like the jalapeno something, white cheddar. I don't know, jalapeno. You're all getting hungry. Sorry, I stopped talking. It was great. But as I'm writing out this point, I'm like, is it feeds? Is it nourishes? And I'm like, no, 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 it's nourishes. See, Jesus nourishes the church. But I was feeding myself. I was feeding myself popcorn. It was nourishing nothing inside of me. Trust me. Corn has no nutritional value. <laughs> it's like, and then the salt and the sugar and the, you know, it, it was processed too, so sorry, I'm a bad guy. It had no value. But I want you to think about our life and our church. What do we put into our church? I mean, you came today. I'm feeding you from the Word of God. Did you come just to feed? Or are you nourishing yourself, abiding in Jesus Christ day in, day out? Are you reading the book, the gospel? Are you reminding yourself of who God is and what he wants to do? That's how you're going to see the power. One week, one message, come back. You know, I'm preaching too long. I leave you too full where you don't have to depend on God. So I'm going to start preaching shorter. It's an announcement. You've got to feed yourself. No, 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 no. You've got to look to Jesus for nourishment. Right? Think of all the things you feed yourself. The entertainment, the movies, the TV, the magazines, the books. I mean, how many books do we read that aren't, they're feeding us, but they're not nourishing our soul. You know? How many things am I involved in this is the death to self that is the journey of my life. How many things do I need to strip away from my life and stop being involved in because it's just making me fat, it's feeding me, and I'm not hungry for the nourishment I could have from the Word of God. It's the nourishing. It's the abiding. I, I pray that you all go read John 15. If I could turn over and read that for you, if I had enough time, uh, that would be awesome. But I'll tell you what. Here's one verse, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You want to see power? You want to see fruit in your life? Abide in him because he nourishes the church. Jesus does. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, I want you to just let that set in. I think that's why in the 10-year vision we said we want everybody to read the word every day. And we want everybody to read the New Testament once a year because that means you're reading enough to nourish yourself. And we want everybody to read through the Old Testament in three years. That's a vision for our church that God gave us. And, and so we've put these things together. And I hate these things more than I've ever hated them before. You know why? Because they've become a checkbox to me at times. And we just came through a series called Draw Near. You should pick one of these up, but you should write Draw Near right over the top of it. And draw near is to, what, get alone, for God alone, and seek him. It's not to check a box. It's not, oh, good, I read a chapter today, check the box. Get alone, for God alone. I challenged our guys yesterday, man. You stay 
in the prayer closet. You stay with the word of God. You stay there until you clothe yourself with the Holy Spirit and you do not come out because you are no good to the world until you're clothed in the Holy Spirit. I'm challenging you all now for God's glory to read the word, to take those other books. Some of them are good. I'm reading a great book on our uh, founding fathers and what they stand for and all that, but that doesn't nourish my soul. That encourages me, but that doesn't nourish my soul like the word of God nourishes my soul. It doesn't even, and that's a Christian book. It doesn't even stand a candle. It doesn't even hold a candle to it. The flame that burns in me when I hear it is written. I love it. So one of the best ways that God nourishes his bride, his body, the church, is through the word of God. And I pray that you will focus on the word and love the word and mark the word and, 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 and grasp the word and abide in the word. But I came over to church to say, you know, that'll strengthen you. That'll sustain you through any trial. But I came over to say, what are you abiding in? Right? And just, yeah, you got to take an inventory. What are you abiding in? What, what are you plugged into in life? Right? What an electrical outlet. What job is empowering you? What thing you eat is just awesome? What are you plugging into and thinking that you'll gain power? And aren't you so disappointed with that? I'm so disappointed with the power I get from anything I try to plug into other than Jesus Christ. It leaves me wanting and hungry. It doesn't give me the same feeling that the Bible gives me of a burning in my spirit to do the things of God. Nothing holds it. Not one thing. We have to stop trying to man-make the power and we have to rely on God's power. God nurses his church. Am I abiding? I am abiding. I want to say it that way. I am abiding. Then this last thing uh, from chapter 4, 11 through 16. Jesus builds the church and we are all together. Let me just read it for you quickly. We've got to be done. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that's the church, until we all attain the unity, that's a key word, of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's what we're going for. Mature manhood, mature womanhood in every person in this room. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness, by deceitful schemes. We are being marketed every day. Most of your mail that comes to your mailbox is marketing to get you off of what God wants and to get you on to whatever will make the world some more money. Wake up, believers in God. Wake up. Those billboards don't matter to me. That restaurant can be great, but it's not going to nourish my soul like the Word of God. Your words were found. I found them right here, and I ate them, and they became to me a joy. 
and the delight of my soul, my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Jeremiah 15, 16. If you don't have a life verse, pick that one. Rather, speaking the truth in love, hopefully I just did that, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, the authority, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has given you gifts to serve the church. Roll up your sleeve, let's go. There's no better thing to serve. This is the mission. This is the hope of the world. God has given you the unity of the Spirit. The unity that should be in the church around Jesus Christ. God has given you the love for each other and the love from God that makes me love you. Remember the day you walked in, John? It wasn't that long ago, a few months ago. The love I had for you that day. Never even met you. That's not of me. That's not in me. That's Jesus that says, I love you when I don't even know you. But I know I love you because Jesus loves you more than I'll ever love you. And he wants me to say that to you right now. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. So what, what you know, Jesus builds the church. We are all together. This is a gathering. Okay, so, so what makes us unique? What makes us different? What makes us special? What do we have in common? What are these things? I, I'd love to turn over to 1 Peter 2, but you can go there later today. 1 Peter 2, um, 2 through 5. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, there's a desire, there's an asking for Jesus. So let me just throw these three things up. There's an asking for Jesus I am a part of the church because there was a day where the blinders came off and I said, I need Jesus, and I asked for him. I asked God for Jesus in my life. Have you done that? These are the ways that we are together. This is the church. I've asked God for Jesus. I'm alive in Jesus. It says in, in 1 Peter 2, uh, we are living stones the church is not a building. After four weeks of talking about meeting places, the church is not a building. It's the gathering of the living stones. So we're going to be here until God gives us a building. Until God raises up people and finances and all that, we're here. And we want to go and we have opportunities and it's exciting. But we don't have our eyes on that. We have our eyes on Jesus because that's how we're living stones. And we're just rocks when we turn our eyes off of, you know, just knuckleheads. When we get our eyes off of that, we have to stay focused on Jesus. We're alive in Jesus. Yeah, I'm connected and abiding in Jesus. And then this third thing, we're accepted through Jesus. The way he says it, let me just read it for you. This is so cool says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are accepted by God. You are accepted by God through Jesus. 
That's the church. The church is a group of people who have asked for Jesus, who are alive in Jesus, and who are accepted by God through the blood of Jesus. Hey, church, if that doesn't put a smile on your face, nothing will. We are all together. And that is power through the unity and the love and the giftings that God's given us. So could I say to you, get engaged in the power. I mean, welcome to the game. Come on in off the bench. Let's go, right? Put me in, coach. Yeah, I just did. You got gifts, the love of Christ, in the unity of the Spirit. Let's go. This is our family. We serve our family. You before me. How can I serve you? I didn't, I didn't ask these people to stand up. They don't want me to tell them stand up. Not one of those people was like, oh, I hope he has me stand up today. I've been serving God for six years, setting up and tearing down seven hours a week. They would have just as soon never had it said. But I'm telling you, in the love of Christ and in the power that I see in the church, when we all are together stewarding our gifts, going for it for God, man, that's the place where God meets us. And he does some amazing things. And we've seen it for six years, and I want to see it more. So let's all get on the the bus, right? Let's all get into it. Let's all give more than we've ever given before. And let's go after this hard this year more than ever. I love you. Let's stand and pray. Father, (laughs) your word is powerful. It's quick. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the heart. And I pray that it's done so today. It's cut me to the heart for sure. And I just ask for your power in this local church. And I ask for your authority. I ask that each individual would be abiding in you. I pray, Lord, that we would be all together every week. That we would put it on the calendar and that we wouldn't stop coming back again and again. Because this is where the power is when the living stones gather together and they serve each other and they love each other and they're unified for your honor and your glory and your kingdom. Until you come back, God, help us to be doing that, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.